Thank you for joining us today. And now I would like to introduce today's special guest. We live in an era of the specialist, a time when professionals are expected to be experts in their own particular and often complicated fields. But there was a time when a generalist could make a pretty good living. Aristotle, the giant of Greek philosophy, didn't think it was enough to be one of the founding fathers of the study of metaphysics, the arts, ethics, and politics. He also considered himself something of an authority on physics, biology, and zoology. All men by nature desire knowledge, he wrote. The idea that the search for knowledge was universal, along with the concept that all arenas of study were somehow linked, fueled centuries of intellectual pursuit. The classical polymath became the ideal of the Renaissance man or woman. Over time, however, it has become commonplace, uh, common practice for us to focus on particular studies and practical career paths. And it's long been the norm for employers recruiting university graduates to focus often on those from business-related programs. But we are also hearing how innovation and creativity are the keys to competitive success. Employers may need to examine more closely the values of new graduates from the arts, humanities, and social sciences programs, traditionally overlooked by career stream recruiters, and see what they can bring to the workplace. Our guest speaker today is the president of the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council, an independent federal government agency that funds university-based research and graduate training. It is via this agency that the federal government recently pledged over $200 million for the development of talent and knowledge through scholarships, fellowships, and university-based research. Almost half of this funding will be awarded as graduate scholarships and fellowships in the humanities and social sciences. So how can this benefit Canadian businesses and enterprises? And how can the social sciences and humanities translate into tangible, everyday benefits for society? Dr. Chad Gaffield is more than well equipped to answer those questions. He is one of the foremost authorities on Canadian history, having won numerous awards for his teaching, research, and innovative theories. His analysis of how demographic, economic, and cultural change influences and is influenced by institutional and political history has won him many and much international acclaim. Prior to his 2006 appointment as the president of Shirk in September of 2006, he was a professor of history at the, in, uh, in the University of Ottawa, where he was the founding director of the Institute of Canadian Studies. Please join me in welcoming our guest speaker, Dr. Chad Gaffield, President of the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada, as he discusses and answers your questions on a new consensus for building Canada's competitiveness in the 21st century. Thanks so much. Um, at the airport uh, yesterday, uh, flying down from Ottawa, I ran into a, a student who had taken a couple of undergraduate courses with me. You know, one of those moments you look across and you see a face you recognize, and he recognized me, and we started chatting. Turns out he was flying as well to Toronto, uh, lives here now, is working, and, uh, and he said, oh, you're coming down to uh, visit one of the universities. 
And I said, well, actually, the uh, Canadian club invited me down to talk at lunchtime. And he said, oh, he said, that's great. Uh, what are you going to talk about? And I said, um, well, we're going to really discuss how we can make uh, successful societies in the 21st century. He kind of looked at me and he said, uh, do they know you study the 19th century? <laughs> Thank you so much for that warm and generous introduction and uh, it's reassuring. Uh, and many thanks to uh, Helen Burston and, and all the directors at the Canadian Club for in inviting me to speak today. Je suis tout à fait conscient de la manière dont le Canadian Club est convaincu que les connaissances d'hier et d'aujourd'hui sont essentielles pour bâtir des communautés plus soudées, des pays plus florissants et en fait un monde meilleur. Ces convictions définissent la nature du Canadian Club depuis sa création et se trouve au cœur des sciences humaines. In other words, I deeply appreciate the Canadian Club's conviction that knowledge and understanding of the past and present are prerequisites for building stronger communities, stronger countries, and a better world. This conviction has defined the Canadian Club throughout its history, and it is certainly at the heart of the humanities and social sciences. Through research fields from history to philosophy and literature, from psychology to sociology and economics, from law to business and education. Our students and scholars advance knowledge and understanding about individuals, institutions, and societies in the past and present, always with a view toward the future. For this reason, I feel privileged to have the chance to speak to you here today and to become part of the history of such a great Canadian institution. This year, we are celebrating the 30th anniversary of the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council, SHRC as it is called, celebrating our Pearl anniversary, three decades of cultivating pearls of wisdom. <laughs> I'd like to give special thanks to uh, colleagues and friends at the head table um, taking time out today, and I'd like to especially say how thrilled I am with the high school students that have uh, joined us here today. I think seeing you here makes me think of the saying that uh, we inherit the world from our ancestors, but we borrow it from our descendants. And thanks so much for attending today. I am here to share my conviction that a new consensus is emerging in democratic societies around the world about how to build a successful future in the 21st century. The fabric of this consensus is being woven with multiple strands. These strands are composed of new views of research and learning and how these activities can help us address the key questions of our changing times. The strength of the fabric promises to support prosperous and sustainable economies, diverse cultures, robust democratic institutions, and safe, just civil societies. My specific focus is on the expanding role being given to and being played by the social sciences and humanities. Metaphorically speaking, the humanities and social sciences are moving to center stage, shoulder to shoulder, as I like to say, with the natural and health sciences and engineering. The key questions at the heart of the social sciences and humanities have become a focus of attention in public debate. Who we are, 
where we have been and where we might go as individuals and societies. My sense is that this new recognition reflects deep conceptual changes that have begun defining the 21st century as a truly new era. Why is a new consensus now emerging about how societies can best succeed in the globalizing 21st century? How have the humanities and social sciences moved to center stage? To begin with, let's consider three changes that characterize our new era. One, a new recognition of complexity. Two, a new embracing of diversity. And three, a new emphasis on creativity. Not that long ago, an individual's talent and prospects in life were often officially defined by the results of a single test that produced a single number, the famous IQ test. Today, no one would make this claim. No advertising firm now targets the average man or the normal shopper as they did until recent decades. Rather, each individual is now recognized to include complex cognitive, emotional, and psychological qualities that defy simple labeling. For example, Abninder Litt from the University of Waterloo, the winner of Shirk's highest honor for doctoral students last year, is now at Stanford University researching new approaches to marketing that focus on individual consumer decisions. Beyond recognition of the complexity of each individual is a new appreciation of how the differences among humans are expressed differently depending on the context. Albert Einstein taught us that particles interact differently according to time and place. For their part, scholars in the social sciences and humanities now emphasize how the unique and defining features of individual humans make our interactions with each other infinitely more complex. Our research projects show that the itinerary of our lives is often multi-causal and non-linear, reflecting both individual differences and group dynamics. And the communications revolution is making our interactions more and more complex, as predicted first, I believe, by one of the 20th century's great thinkers, Harold Innes. It was Innes whose perception of the social implications of time-bending and space-bending communications media inspired Marshall McLuhan and others who have helped us and the world begin to come to grips with the digital age. The challenge of analyzing, interpreting, and understanding humans is truly hard. We now know that there is nothing soft about the social sciences and humanities. Along with recognizing complexity, we are also embracing diversity. Until recently, the dominant metaphor for imagining a society was a cookie cutter. For most of the 19th and 20th centuries, a successful country was seen to need a hom an homogenous population, and public policies tried to impose a one-size-fits-all standard for behavior and identity. Diversity was defined as a problem to be solved. In contrast, researchers have now taught us that all societies have multiple origins, multiple identities, depending on who is defining them and what criteria are being used. We now recognize that no single perspective 
can hold all the answers. Societies around the world now deeply regret the oppressive efforts of past decades to make everyone conform to the dominant culture. Not only is the pursuit of uniformity now seen to be misguided, but we realize that sameness can lead to weakness and even vulnerability, while diversity can strengthen. No one now wants to put all their eggs in one basket, and no one wants all their eggs to hatch a single mindset. In other words, the humanities and social sciences make clear that globalization should not be viewed as westernization. Rather, globalization holds the promise of an internationalization in which diverse societies and cultures interact with other diverse individuals, societies, and cultures. From this perspective, globalization can enhance our ability to ask and address questions that concern all of humanity. At the same time, scholars have made clear that to embrace diversity is not to welcome every perspective as valid. Rather, we must confront consciously and publicly the evidence that supports each perspective. And we must address philosophical, moral, and ethical questions in ways that reflect and are informed by the best that our top minds have to offer. And scholars in Canada have certainly been helping the world come to grips with such questions, including Charles Taylor, Shirk's first gold medal winner. Canadian scholars such as Taylor are showing the world how we can benefit from diversity through robust cultures and institutions. No longer is the goal simply to tolerate each other, we now seek to engage each other. Along with the new recognition of complexity and the embracing of diversity, a new emphasis on creativity is emerging as a defining feature of the 21st century, especially in terms of material well-being. Researchers are now emphasizing how the new economy is redefining the type of knowledge and competencies that are important for economic growth. The creators, big picture thinkers, empathizers, are becoming the new most valuable players on business teams. This deep change explains the new importance of combining so-called right-brain thinking with left-brain thinking, as described by best-selling author Daniel Pink. Simultaneous, metaphorical, aesthetic, contextual, and synthetic. The work opportunities that are now increasingly important include those activities that can't be re repeated routinely, such as design, marketing, managing, and communicating effectively to diverse audiences. As is usually the case, students have quickly reacted to the new emphasis on creativity, and Canadian institutions are adapting rapidly, as are others in leading countries. In the United States, 20 universities offered graduate programs in fine arts in the 1980s. Today, 250 U.S. universities have established creative Master of Fine Arts programs. Despite such rapid growth, student demand is still far in front of supply. At Harvard, it is now three times harder to gain admission to their Master of Fine Arts program than to their MBA program. And MFA grads are being snapped up by companies eager to succeed in the new economy. More Americans today work in arts, entertainment, and design than work as lawyers, accountants, and auditors, 
which themselves are, of course, key jobs informed by the social sciences and humanities. A similar story is unfolding in Canada. As is often the case, Canadian institutions are at the leading edge of such innovations, especially those combining academic programs on the creative industries and the new technologies. Northrop Fry insisted that true learning did not involve the filling of a pail, but rather the lighting of a fire. Since this insistence is at the heart of all the social sciences and humanities at both the undergraduate and graduate levels, it is not surprising that our graduates contribute in so many ways to the new economy of the 21st century. The marketplace of ideas has become the marketplace that really matters. It is in this sense that our research fields help prepare students for jobs, not just for their next job, but for every job they'll ever have. But exactly how important have these economic contributions become? What is the place of the social sciences and humanities in the new economic realities of the 21st century? A major challenge in addressing this question is the need to rethink and update the categories and measures that were developed to track economic changes during the 19th and 20th centuries. This work is now beginning. One preliminary study by Ron Friedman of the Impact Group, who is here with us today, suggests that industries based on social sciences and humanities inputs now account for more than 75% of total employment in Canada. Three quarters of all jobs now involve activities that are studied and informed by our research fields. Overall, this initial estimate suggests that social sciences and humanities research now influences nearly $400 billion of economic activity in Canada, an amount roughly equivalent to industries that rely on science, technology, engineering, and medicine. But what specific events and concerns have been making clear the connection between the changing world and the increased role being assigned to and being played by the social sciences and humanities? How exactly are these research fields moving to center stage? One part of the answer to this question involves an increased desire to understand the entire world, past and present. For example, a number of Canadian universities had developed world-class expertise in Islamic studies by the time of September 10, 2001. On that day, some people might have wondered why that expertise was so important. But the next day, it became clear to everyone. Scholars of history, religious and cultural studies instantly became key figures in public debate in policy discussion on 9-11. As the saying goes, the afternoon knows what the morning never suspected. But our research community was prepared. In similar ways, the social sciences and humanities have made special efforts to contribute to knowledge and understanding of pressing social issues. For example, scholars in the early 1980s focused on Canada's aging population. Their research began informing public debate about the viability of pension plans, compulsory retirement, the care of the elderly, and numerous other topics. The impact of their research has been significant. Overall, Canada is becoming an older society much more smoothly than most observers predicted 25 years ago. Pension plans have not all gone bankrupt, at least not yet. 
Retirement legislation has been changed, and much more appropriate strategies are being pursued to care for the elderly. In addition to cultural and social issues, the humanities and social sciences are now also contributing to what were once considered strictly biomedical challenges. And here again, Canada has played a leading role. In the 1970s, the medical school at McMaster University revamped the admissions criteria and the curriculum to encompass a people-centered, interdisciplinary, and problem-based approach to health. Today, the incoming class at McMaster's DeGroote School of Medicine includes students who have majored in music, accounting, history, yay, and other programs in the social sciences and humanities. This approach has become familiar in universities across Canada and around the world. And students in medical schools now often take courses in narrative medicine, where they learn how to benefit diagnostically from skillful literary analysis of a patient's story. Until recently, few medical schools anywhere in the world offered humanities courses. Today, three out of four do in the United States, many of them inspired by the Canadian precedent. New research in our fields is also guiding decisions related to what were considered strictly technological, such as how to store and retrieve digital records. Canadian scholars are leading interdisciplinary, international efforts to create guidelines and standards for digital records, and their recommendations are being implemented by governments, industry, and the makers of technology around the world. For example, Luciana Duranti teaches archival science to graduate students while leading an international research initiative. To date, she and her colleagues have taught more than 200 students who have now gone on to successful careers with organizations such as the World Bank, the United Nations, the European Parliament, and CNN. Similarly, scholars are now focusing on the human dimension of the environment both in specialized and interdisciplinary initiatives. Scholars are redefining the environment as an integrated space determined by both human and natural forces. Our effort to reconnect C.P. Snow's two solitudes of arts and science is still a work in progress, but no one would now describe their isolation as a good thing. Rather, scholars across fields are now helping us the public and policymakers gain a better understanding of the complex economic, social, cultural, and technological forces that shape and are shaped by global environmental changes. Taken together, the multiple implications of complexity, diversity, and creativity help explain the increased recognition for and heightened expectations of the social sciences and humanities. We are embracing these fields as intrinsically valuable and as effective ways to achieve prosperity, sustainable economies and societies, and enhanced quality of life. Let me also emphasize that in undertaking these research activities, scholars are contributing in the spirit of the new competitiveness of the globalizing 21st century. This new competitiveness has two distinguishing characteristics. First, we are redefining the character of competition. Rather than viewing competition as win-lose, the new approach seeks win-win engagement through collaboration. From the perspective of the new co competitiveness, 
The desirable future will not follow a contest to determine superiority among societies in a zero-sum game, but rather will follow a win-win chance to enhance all societies. One example of this distinguishing feature is the sea change now underway in how we imagine and manage intellectual property. Rather than attempting to hoard IP, the new focus is on managing intellectual property in ways that stimulate innovation and foster creativity for the benefit of the world's population. The new IP era, as perceived by Professor Richard Gold and his colleagues, emphasizes cooperation and collaboration among researchers, companies, governments. The key question in the new competitiveness is how to partner, how to share knowledge appropriately for the good of all. The second distinguishing feature of the new competitiveness is the increased effort and resources needed to succeed on the world stage. The most familiar metaphors for this new feature come from sports. We hear about the global race, the global race for talent, or the fact that the bar has been raised for productivity. The same imagery applies to the Canadian tradition of competition for research funding. Our grant competitions welcome all comers in a true meritocracy. The ranking and selection is evidence-based with comprehensive evaluation by nonpartisan experts. Everyone knows that being good is not good enough. This past summer, for example, Professor René Guimont Plaud remembered ach achieving a PhD in terms of completing an intellectual marathon. While the announcement of her winning a shirt grant made her, her feel like she had been named to the Olympic team for her research discipline. This sentiment is certainly understandable. Shirk supports the top 9,000 of the 71,000 humanities and sciences, and social sciences researchers and graduate students that occupy more than half of our campuses. A recent study placed Canada in the top three countries in the world for scholarly publications in the social sciences. Another study of all disciplines showed that Canada produces about 4.5% of the world's total number of scholarly articles in all fields, 4.5% in all fields. For the social sciences in particular, Canada's proportion is 5.5%. For the humanities, Canada's proportion is 6%. In other words, Canada scholars in the social sciences and humanities punch well above their weight. And in keeping with the new era, these scholars are joining together and collaborating with diverse partners to advance knowledge and contribute to society. That is why we at the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council help scholars build alliances between the campus and the larger community. For the past 10 years, for example, our Community University Research Alliance program has supported partnerships between university-based researchers and community-based organizations. Curas, as they are now known internationally, have goals that go beyond research to promote knowledge mobilization for the benefit of the larger society and to enhance the quality of research and learning on campuses. All the universities represented here today are splendid examples of how campuses are now connecting to their larger communities. In the Toronto area, for example, 
Scholars at Ryerson University and their community partners are studying how to make entertainment more accessible to those with special needs. Their work analyzes how enhanced closed captioning and new communication technologies can extend the inclusiveness of film, theater, and television. And scholars at York University are collaborating with community partners in undertaking research on the human rights of people with disabilities in Canada. At the University of Toronto, a campus community research initiative is focused on the challenge of building more inclusive neighborhoods from within Toronto's West Central area. In similar ways, OCAD University's Digital Futures Initiative is connecting design research to the digital industry. For many years, business leaders have been generous donors to business schools across Canada. Recently, they have begun increasing and expanding philanthropy to other fields of the social sciences and humanities. Hal Jackman has, in focus, has focused his enthusiastic support on the humanities at the University of Toronto, which has enabled the creation of an interdisciplinary institute under the leadership of Robert Gibbs, an acclaimed philosopher. More recently, Jim Basili announced a transformative grant of $100 million to create the Basili School of International Affairs, involving the University of Waterloo, Wilfrid Laquier University, and the Center for International Governance and Innovation. Such initiatives are now helping the social sciences and humanities realize their full potential as contributors to Canada and the world. Let me conclude by emphasizing that we should not be surprised that the humanities and social sciences in Canada are well positioned to help us succeed in a world of complexity, diversity, and creativity. The story of Canada is one of multiple cultures, languages, experiences, and perspectives. And as Canadians, we address complexity and diversity every day. And Canada has historically invested in the creativity, the intellectual assets of the entire population. Yes, we have been successful hewers of wood and drawers of water, but we have also been deeply committed to developing our human capital. In the 19th century, public schooling helped Canada become one of the most literate societies in the world. In the 20th century, public universities spread from coast to coast and have produced graduates whose diplomas are recognized internationally as first rate. In my own case, I consider myself profoundly fortunate to have received an undergraduate and graduate education in our public universities. I know that my story is characteristic of thousands of us, including so many of you here today. And it says something important about Canada. And since the 1960s and 1970s, we have built a Made in Canada curriculum for elementary and high schools and have provided support for unprecedented research intensity in Canadian universities. Together with related developments both on and beyond the campus, Canada has developed a distinctiveness that is praised internationally. In other words, the story of Canada is the story of complex, diverse, and creative people, of a country that was thereby able to blossom during the 20th century. 
I think the evidence is now clear that Canada's success thus far has been enabled by investing in people, intellectual assets, human capital, the best natural resource, and by investing in research about who we are, where we have been, and where we might go. One key result is that we demand quality, genuine quality, for our businesses, our institutions, our neighborhoods, our communities. We're demanding of the type of society we want to live in. We are demanding of each other. We engage each other. We demand the best of each other, though not at the expense of each other. In other words, Canadians are well positioned to draw on the past and present to face the future. It is for all these reasons and many more that the social sciences and humanities are now moving to center stage, helping us build a world of prosperous and sustainable economies, diverse and strong cultures, robust democratic institutions, and safe, just civil societies. By working together across campuses, communities, and internationally, we can ensure that our descendants will look back on us as the founders of successful societies in the 21st century. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Dr. Gaffield. Uh, we will be more formally thanking you in a moment, but we have time for a couple of questions, and let me pose them now. First, uh, drawing on your background as an historian, can you tell us what it takes to thrive in the 20th century versus what it took in the 20th or in the 19th century? What are the distinctive differences today? Well, that's a, that's a big question. Um, the first thought that jumps to mind, though, last week uh, I had a chance to see an interview with one of the vice presidents of Vale, the, the Brazilian mining company that's become so globally important. And he was asked, uh, now that that company is around the world and is growing so quickly, what are the three big challenges that he and his other managers are really preoccupied with? He said, one, human capital, two, cultural integration, and three, risk management. And as he was talking about their importance, I was instantly thinking about research projects, about, about our fields that, that really focus on those questions. Uh, one that jumps to mind, for example, is Grégoire uh, Murray at the Université de Montréal. He and his colleagues, 70 colleagues, are trying to come to grips with the changing workplace. And, and many of the words, uh, I, I think, are around this, this the, the new a sense of complexity, diversity, and, and creativity. And, and that's why, actually, the book that you got today, I think it captures a little bit some of the ways in which I think uh, researchers are trying to come to grips with the changing workplace and what that means, both for Canada and globally. Thank you. Uh, now another question, and this uh, connects with our young people in the audience today, uh, who you mentioned. We have uh, high school students who are joining us. And what two or three pieces of advice would you offer them about preparing for successful lives and careers? Well, the first uh, I think, thing that jumps to my mind is, 
is how risky it is to give advice, particularly when it's not asked. Uh, and, and I also know as an historian, our ability to predict what's going to be good 10 years from now uh, in any society is, is not great. But, but maybe in that context, uh, two things jump to mind. Um, I would say when people say to you, what are you going to do, interpret that question in terms of what are you going to do next? Uh, and then choose something to do next uh, that has meaning and significance for you, uh, whatever that may be. Uh, so that's, I think, the first thing is to um, focus on what to do next. But combining with that, I think the second piece of advice I would give is, is do it, whatever you choose, to the absolute best of your ability. And my sense is that history suggests that uh, if you choose something that has meaning and significance in your life, no matter what the field is, and if you do it to the absolute best of your ability, my sense in it's going to serve you well and lead to something good uh, in a series of things. And in fact, in a world of, of complexity, diversity, and creativity, my sense at least is maybe um, those two pieces of advice are becoming more uh, relevant uh, every day. But I would also be very cautious about the advice part. Uh, I know <laughs> okay. that. Thank you, Dr. Gaffield. I would now like to call on Gordon Raman of the Canadian Club Board to formally thank you on behalf of the club. Gordon? Thank you, Dr. Gaffield, for joining us here today and for your fascinating thoughts. As Dr. Gaffield has well illustrated, the humanities, arts, and social sciences can play a critical role in solving our most pressing real-world problems. The challenges that face us, demographic, environmental, political, economic, are many and complex. We cannot limit our approach to solving them. Our only hope of resolving them is through a multidisciplinary effort. Social sciences and the humanities are disciplines with intrinsic value because they give us pleasure, meaning, and inspiration. But they also offer the knowledge vital to creating an innovation system that is truly inclusive, democratic, and just. Today, as in Renaissance times, another era of great change and innovation, a well-rounded, educated human being ought to be knowledgeable about a variety of areas and, of course, be skilled as thinker, communicator, and leader. The study of social sciences and humanities can be among the essential building blocks for success across the academic, public, private, and not-for-profit sectors. History shows us that wisdom can flow down to us through the ages from many varied sources. If we open our eyes and minds to this wisdom, we might all profit. As Sir Isaac Newton once famously said, if I have seen further than you, it is by standing upon the shoulders of giants. Thank you. Thank you, Gordon. This wraps up today's program, which will be broadcast on Rogers TV in the days to come. I thank you on behalf of the Canadian Club for joining us today. This meeting is now adjourned. <laughs>